do sit down. We're just about to have some tea. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream. Scream for your lives. Hey weirdos, the kettle's boiled. Welcome to Tea for Terror, where we take a favourite horror film and dissect it over a nice cup of tea. I'm your host, Andrew Graves, and my guest today has made her pact with Lucifer and will do all his bidding for all eternity. Welcome, Anna Billa. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> What you've been up to? Very, very busy, uh, I, from what I understand. So you, you've been plugging your new book. Do you want to tell us about that? Yes, I wrote a new novel um, called Bluebeard's Castle. It's very gothic and very dark in the tradition of the Brontes and Dracula and Frankenstein. <laughs> How, how's the promotional a, tour been going? It's fine. It's, it was very short. I just it was a week in New York and a few dates in Los Angeles. And then I'm going up to Portland for one um, one event. And that, that'll, that'll be it for now. I might add some dates later. But it's just it's been very nice. New York was just fabulous. I love New York. You're um, not planning on coming to the UK? Well, I will eventually come to the UK. <laughs> and, you know, my publisher is in the UK. So I wish... They had set that up, but you know, that's a they're they're an independent publisher. That's quite, you know, a dig into the budget for them to bring me all the way over there. So, um, I'll go on my own dime. Okay. When I'm ready. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm doing a movie over there, so I should be over there quite soon. This is the, the new film, so okay. So, can you tell us anything about that? Or yeah, it's called The Face of Horror, and it's a medieval um, ghost movie. Um, it takes place in medieval England. Um, it was adapted from a Japanese ghost story, and um, it's um, it's very it's it's really great. It's like one of those Japanese uh, ghost revenge stories with a woman who gets revenge on the on the people who wronged her in life. Um, very gory and and very scary. It's going to be really good. Brilliant. I yeah I I mean I took in terms of your book Bluebeard's Castle I took it I took it on holiday with me I went to the coast for a bit and uh, I kind of read through it while I was on holiday and uh, I, it, I yeah I loved it it's just uh, I, I it's weird because you know you're looking at just it's a book and it's just pages with words and that's what all books are but it it's not often a book has such an aesthetic and I don't necessarily mean the cover the cover's great by the way but um, the, it just drips with Annabella's aesthetic, and I, I and I love the fact that the cover is so, you know, in some ways it's quite innocuous, but it's it's that it, it I, I like I love the idea of it slipping into the hands of someone who just wants a Mills and Boom novel or just wants a Barbara Cartland novel and ends up with something quite different. <laughs> that was a bit of the joke of it, you know. That's, that's one reason I wanted to do it is to reference all of those. Those those mid century romance novels, and then give the readers a jolt, something really quite different. Well, I mean, I, this is the thing. I, I remember seeing there's a documentary on uh, British TV a while back, and I can't remember which author it was now, but there was an author on there, and she was kind of more known for more sort of serious literature and stuff like this. And they gave someone gave her the challenge: Can you write a Mills and Boone book? And she was like really struggling. It's like, look, everybody thinks these are easy to write and they're not at all. They're really, you know, they've got a strict formula. And, you know, if you don't get that right, it's not going to work at all. Yeah. So I, I pretty much adhered to the formula for the first maybe half of the book. And then I, I started veering from it quite wildly. Um, so I draw the reader in with this kind of very almost conventional romance. But, yeah. you know, from the very beginning, the red flags are worse oh, yeah, yeah. than other then you know from the very beginning it's it's much worse it's just much more terrible than uh, any romance novel because the kinds of things that the that the, the male character does and says are so off like it's really more like horror i think from the beginning yeah 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 definitely yeah uh, and yeah it's 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 a you know because it's not she's not getting chased around by a monster 
it is a monster, but not not a monster in the traditional sense. So it's far worse because it could happen to anybody, really. Yeah, exactly. And I just say I love I love horror movies like that, where the where the monster is is just kind of blends in with society. You know, you know like Peeping Tom, one of my favorite yeah, horror yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just like this very sweet looking, innocent looking, um, pretty blonde boy yeah. who's good at his work and everything. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, Anna, and uh, you know, obviously, most people know you through uh, the Love Witch, uh, which you wrote, directed, and 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 I mean, we covered it on uh, episode seven of this this podcast, and and one of the things we talked about about with the Love Witch, I mean, spoiler alert, we we loved it, by the way, you know, but um, it is is we we talked about your kind of uh, I don't know how to put this really, your sort of work ethic. Because I mean, the, the Love Witch took, was it seven years to put together the Love Witch? Something like that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of that was just, I just didn't have the money for a proper yeah, yeah. Um, team. So I was making everything, you know, myself in the art department. And there were just so many objects. I had lists of objects that needed to be made or bought or, or rented. And and it was just, um, it was mainly costumes, actually, that took so much time. Because it really had to be stitched by hand. It was just... And those those medieval costumes, those Renaissance costumes, like each one has like five parts to it. You know, he's got the hose and the hat and the cape, and it was just uh, it was just this insane amount of just physical labor, I would say. <laughs> and um, it was I sort of feel sorry for myself, like about you know a couple of years into the process. <laughs> but it's worth it. Obviously, it's worth it because it looks. I mean. I mean, there's, there's so much yeah, bubbling beneath the surface, but if you just look at it yeah. from a, an aesthetic level alone, it's just fucking amazing. It's just brilliant. I mean, yeah. and I, it was nice in a way to just, I got more and more into the witchy world, like the more things that I sewed and made and, and crafted and the more I thought about it, and I kept getting to rewrite the screenplay and get deeper. And it's relaxing. It's very relaxing to paint and sew and everything like that. But I felt guilty. I thought, well, I need to be making a film at some point. And not just <laughs> <laughs> you know, like some grandma making, you know, crocheting things, you know? Yeah, you just turned into a craft workshop. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so anna what so obviously this is a, a horror film podcast uh, and we're, we're going to be talking about a specific horror film later on but in terms of your connection with horror films what was your entry point you know the thing is the reason i chose this film because i think this film really was my my entry point horror hotel i really think i really think it was this film because i saw it on television on cable television when i was very small and it scared, it scared the daylights out of me. And um, I never knew what the title of it was. I caught it I think, late at night, and I was the only one watching it. And um, I always tried, like for years, I tried to figure out the title of it. And I would ask people, because what I remembered was that it was Blue Witches Underground. That's what I remembered, because I was like maybe seven when I saw it. So have you ever seen that movie with the Blue Witches Underground? And... And then they, they sort of pin a, a bird to somebody, so it's a dead bird. And you've seen that one, they sort of, it's just sort of like a slab, and there's this woman on the slab, and she's screaming, have you seen that? And everybody's saying, no, I haven't seen that. And then what happened was that in the horror revival, um, I don't know, so at some point, um, they restored it and revived it, and they, they, they screened it somewhere. And I thought, and I looked at the description, I said, that's it, that's the movie. I think that's the movie. The long lost movie. So I went mm. and saw it. Um, I think at the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles, and then that was a movie, and I rediscovered it. So, so this was like the then, first. You know, the other first... films were just. So I, I think so. I think it was the first horror movie I saw. Besides maybe The Wizard of Oz, which is kind of a horror movie too, with the witch. Um, and then you know other ones because I used to love classic movies when I was a kid, and I still do because my parents love them, especially my mother, and they they just love to only watch classic movies. So you know the the 1930s Universal movies, you know Dracula and Frankenstein, they were always playing on the um, on the old movie channels, you know. So yeah, yeah it's I mean uh, I don't know what kind of. Uh... I don't really know your background, and I don't. I mean, in terms of how it played out in the states, but I know you know I'm I you know I was born in 1970, so over here, 
you know, we had on Saturday nights, we'd we'd have very often we'd have on the BBC, we'd have like the double bills, like the universal double bills. So, you know, from very early age, from seven or eight, I was just well versed in these films and Hammer films and things like that. But I, you know, as I've said many times on these podcasts, it the reason I was into you know, I got into older films uh, rather than films that were just aimed at my, me or my generation was, was because, you know, we had that restriction. And in, in England, for, for a long time, we only had three channels, you know, and it was like growing up with like literally, there's nothing on this channel, there's nothing on this channel, I'll watch that. <laughs> and that's how you end up getting yeah. into Marilyn Monroe or, or whoever. Because... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, we had we had all the channels that showed all the old films too. And, and when... When, when people in my family would watch the newer films, I would actually leave the room. So I only liked the old films. I just loved everything about them. But, you know, I discovered Hammer in high school, even though I'm from Los Angeles. I discovered, they never played those movies over here ever. But I was in a, in a, um, like in a thrift shop and I found, I saw like a, a magazine that covers like a horror magazine that covered, that had photographs from the Hammer Frankenstein and I bought it. And um, I was obsessed with, how beautiful the images were, the, the the redness of the blood, you know, just the, the just the gothic atmosphere of them. So I started to try to look for those for those films. So I was maybe like sixteen, and I was I just was obsessed with Hammer. It wasn't until a few years later that I actually found the films, sort of watched them, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah I've always been obsessed with this kind of yeah the, the Universal monster films, and then and then I, when I discovered the Hammer later. Yeah, and then when I discovered, you know, like people and everything. Yeah, and I love the Hitchcock horror, <clears throat> the birds. Yeah. Well, I I think you know going going back to what you said about when when you you know you first accessed a, a film and you didn't know what it was because you'd missed the beginning and you know I think that was a fairly common thing growing up as well and you know get uh, talking about Hitchcock, I wa I think I watched Frenzy. And I thought it was amazing, but I'd missed the first five minutes. So I had no idea for years that it was a Hitchcock film. And yeah. then, you know, back when I was in my early 30s or whatever, I got a massive Hitchcock box set with all the films. Yeah. In. And, I, and I was just doing them in order. And I got to this. It's like, fucking hell, this is that film. This is that film. And yeah. it's like, yeah, it's, I, I, it's, 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 it's one of, I think it's one of the scariest films I've ever seen. It's still, I think it's still, to me, it is the scariest serial killer movie that's ever been made and i think that's just a testament to his skill as a filmmaker and he can make you know like everybody's been trying to make slasher films since then that are dark but nothing's as dark as that you know no he, he, uh, because he because he he combines humor with it as well there, there is comedy in it but it is like the bleakest no, thing ever there's also, there's also morality in it and I yeah, think yeah, that yeah. More tragic and more beautiful you know like frankenstein has a very strong moral and Frenzy has a very strong moral because he's really disgusted with the way that things have turned out. He's really making fun of the of the, of, of the kind of bloodthirsty audience in a way. He's giving them what they want. He's throwing them their bloody bone. But he comes from a, an older, much more genteel era. Yeah. And he's, he's kind of mixing that morality and that genteel quality and that humor and that elegance with the with the he's contrasting it with what what the world has become in the seventies. And um, this is like, this is really the beauty and terror of it, the artistry of it. Because when you just have the filth and, the, and you have nothing, you have nothing to contrast it with, um, it, it has much less, it's less effective. Yeah, I, th I think he kind of always said, well, you know, if you want the full on visceral horror, I'll give you that. But also, you know, there's, there's moments within Frenzy where he shows you nothing. And that's just as terrifying, you know, and that was kind of his point. And I think it, it's got a lot of uh, uh, parallels with a film like Targets, I think. You know, Targets is very much kind of the old world and the new world mixing together, this kind of yeah. new world horror with kind of Karloff's mm -hmm. old, old world gothic sensibilities. Yeah, but also just the 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 lieutenant or whatever. That's like it's like the the core in his life is, is the exotic dishes his wife is serving. Him, so. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. Me and my wife always talk about that. It's just just his terrible food, and he's like nipping off for his fry ups. Um, yeah, <coughs> brilliant. Uh, yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll go into the film we've chosen to look at today. So we are going to be looking at. 
horror hotel aka city of the dead uh, directed by john llewellyn moxie from 1960. this is whitewood massachusetts a young girl a stranger has come to whitewood to do research she has come she thinks to study so anna uh, we kind of touched upon it there, but can you can you remember kind of more specifically what was the first time you came across this and what it what what it kind of awakened in you? I guess because I was so small when I saw it, it was just this feeling of this just like sheer unadulterated terror that I felt when I watched it. But um, later, um, when I saw it again in my twenties, or yeah, I think it was in my twenties. It had just that same impact. It's like, well, not quite the same impact because I was older and more jaded. But um, I think part of the thing that was so exciting about that film was, was the way, the way it was so, um, I guess, a bit like Psycho, and it came out the same year. It, it killed yeah. the heroine in the middle of the movie, yeah, and that yeah, yeah. was just so so scary. But also this idea that there's this something that you can't stop. It's a force of evil that can't be stopped. You know, it's this, it's this kind of, it's this kind of, um, this, this world of hidden, this occult world. It's so, um, it's so ruthless, you know, like those people in the fog, like now it seems a bit, you know, like I can see that, you know, I can see that there was like a smoke machine effect and everything, you know, but like, but you know, when you, when you, you know, it's very effective actually, just all these, these, these kind of like ghouls. Uh, I don't know if they're cool, you know, just like these people that look like they're dead and they're standing in the fog, and then um, just the um, the innocence of the of the girl, and then Christopher Lee is so scary, and um, it's 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 a classic, it's a myth, you know. I grew up also reading a lot, you know. I read a lot of myths and fairy tales and things, and I really enjoy things that are mythic, and I just think it's a very mythic movie on such a small budget. It has such a a strong mythic affect and um it's so beautiful it's so poetic as well as being like so scary it's uh yeah i think there's there's a lot going on and, and i think yeah yeah I, I was gonna you know make the same point you're saying that it came out the same year as psycho and psycho obviously very famously kills off the heroine midway through and it's this it's this i mean because even but with this you i mean you get to know you know that marion crane's dead with this there's a long time you're thinking well have they are they gonna you know and then we get the reveal at the end that she is dead so there is there is, there are these kind of psycho not just that but I think it's also there are a lot of films from around the same time so obviously psycho 1960 this 1960 but also in Italy you get you know Black Sunday as well and I think this this kind this almost okay. feels like it sits between psycho and Black Sunday it's got it's yeah. got it seems to have yeah. elements of both in there obviously that the kind of full on witchcraft and but, yeah. but also this idea of the female trying to escape and not being able to escape and, and then peeping tom is also 1960 yes really, it is yeah it's a really interesting year for, for horror maybe the yeah. best year for horror, i think in a way yeah and you also yeah i think you, you also had uh, eyes without a face as well um is that 1960? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah yeah i, I think I, I made a list once of all the incredible horror films from 1960 it's just amazing it's yeah. just there's feeling so there must have been something about, you know, 1957, 1958, when these things were in development, you know, something <laughs> about that time, you know, interesting in the world. But um, they're also, I think, I think you know, because I'm, I'm kind of interested in a lot of films that sit at the beginning of a decade because gen generally they tend, they, you know, the 1960s, doesn't really start till sort of 63 64 and i think you know this is very much yeah, a 50s right. film there's a lot of 50s hangover yeah, right. and, I, and you know and i think right. it's similar with psycho um but it, it, it yeah I, I i mean one of the things it's great in this i think is because now obviously if we do a film about witches and witchcraft and obviously there is that revisionist thinking quite rightly that we look back and we look at the atrocity of all that and you know all that kind of stuff but I kind I do like this that you've got a witch right at the beginning, and it's like they've got her at the stake, so you, you your sympathies with her. But then all of a sudden, it's like, no, I'm a fucking witch, and I'm going to come back and haunt you. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. she, I'm, I'm upfront about this revenge business. I'm, you know, you're, you, yeah, you're quite right. I'm a witch, and I'm dangerous. Yeah, 
And it's great. I love, and I love to see her then, you know, just kind of running the boarding house and being yeah, just like yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this kind of mysterious woman. And I love like the glances between her and Christopher Lee and that other, it's really like a dark fairy tale. It's just really, it's almost like, you know, there's, there's elements of the, you know, Snow White or Hansel and Gretel, like, like she's really the, 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 the witch of your nightmares. And, um, and that Christopher Lee, the same thing, you know, like an ordinary seeming person, just a normal professor who ends up just, you know, mouse comes off you know it's just so so scary um but you know what when you were talking about the hangover from the 50s one thing that made me think about is how in psycho um janet lee you know it starts off with her and her brassiere and her slip in a sexy scene in the beginning with this illicit love affair that she's having an adulterous love affair and um in horror hotel the ingenue there's this long scene of her in her hotel room her, her boarding house room where the witches keep and 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 un, undressing and dressing again and she, yeah. she's like um she's wearing a merry widow corset which is so sexy and you know she's got this blonde hair and it's like an incredibly sexy scene where she's just um but very you know just very matter of fact and i just felt like um it's kind of it's kind of where where the and you have that in Peeping Tom as well. You have this kind of um, blonde woman who's like a prostitute in the beginning, and she's in the crosshairs of the camera. And you kind of just feel like these, it's it's kind of where, you know, the 50s blonde bombshell, that was this more the subject of romances earlier on, and then was the femme fatale. Yeah. Um, the noir films becomes like this object um, like this this victim of of sex murder like um like a um like her sexuality becomes a target for like a deranged sociopath and it's kind of like the sex and death thing that was so big in all the pulp novels and the comic books of the time you know finally makes it to the screen and i sort of wonder how much of an influence all that underground you know comics and um men's adventure magazines and all that artwork and that pulp artwork you know with the gorillas carrying off the blondes in the jungle and all that artwork had to do with with um people you know in film wanting to cash in on that and the popularity of all that those pulp paperbacks and comic books yeah yeah i mean it's it's i mean the other thing i think is the the other kind of 50s sort of late what late 50s kind of throwback or, or bleeding into it i mean obviously this is um this is you know this is written by milton sabotsky and it's uh, produced by milton sabotsky and max rosenberg and they would obviously go on to form amicus and then in some ways this is uh you know it's been argued that this is kind of like the, the first unofficial sort of first amicus film uh, and you can kind of see that, um, but I think one one of the the ways in which Milton Sabosky and Rosenberg made money initially through films that they would do these kind of these these kind of instantly datable sort of jazz films, you know, to to, to cash in on that sort of late fifties, early. 60s. And I think they did a film called it, "It's It's Trad Dad," and you know mm-hmm. that is very much embedded in this film as well. I mean, you know, you've got the, the the students are very much. They are not what students from sort of the mid sixties onwards would look like. They look like very much like you know very square or very beatnikish sort of. But there's yeah. all, there's this brilliant soundtrack, but but also embedded within that are these kind of jazz. You can you can kind of see that it's rolling along. It's it's very much that kind of you know it's almost kind of. Uh, I guess they're like I guess they're kind of like films made for youth, which is kind of like the comic yeah, yeah. book thing. You know, they're they're just like that trend of trying to trying to sell more tickets because they realize that young people are going. This is the William Castle phenomenon, you know, trying to right. capture the youth. Roger Corman as well and, and AIP. I mean, they, they, it, yeah, it's exactly. it's unbelievable that they you know lots of Hollywood studios were just they were just or, or mainstream studios just completely ignored the teenage market for ages, and it was it was like these 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 yeah. independents. That came along that were seen as being throwaway or schlockmeisters that actually said no this is a, this is a valid audience and we can pack the drive-ins with these teenage yeah. films and whether but, it's 
beach blanket bingo or whether it's uh, I was a teenage caveman, you know, it, it, it's there, you know. But, but uh, going back to your point about the stuff being more 50s, see, the thing that stands out about these films from 1960, because they have the veneer of the 50s about them to me, is that they're still drawing on the classic Hollywood woman in peril genre. Right. So like so like the later Sabotsky films and, the, and some of the later films um, in general in horror, they would move away from from featuring the, the female or the heroine as a woman in peril as the subject. They'd move away from that to more featuring the monster, you know, you know, really, really, really getting into like Vincent Price is, is the spectacle rather than, let's say, you know, Janet Lee being the spectacle. Like you really get you really go towards towards having the the villain be the be be the object of interest and, and yeah. the, the the females are kind of throw away at some point so yeah. I, I come, I come, i'm sort of interested in the horror films that actually still you know and they're like the pre-code films in the sense that they they actually feature a fully fleshed out female protagonist you know and i think that that for me that's more that see that's that's kind of what appeals to me more about this period and the kind of later period of horror, where, where the the same you know the Jawa films as well they they kind of like they're very sadistic yeah so it's like so they lose the humor of something like frenzy which frenzy like I said I think is, is old fashioned no matter how horrific it is it's old fashioned in the sense that it it it, it concentrates you know sympathy on the female victims. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's interesting, like you say, like the later Amicus films, like the anthology Amicus films, the portmanteau stuff, you know, a lot of the anthologies in the later ones especially, I mean, I think Dr. Terror's House of Horrors was written mostly by Sabotsky, but then after that he would get writers like Robert Block in, and I think that the, the story's ideas got better when he brought another writer in. Um, but yeah, you know, you can see that in, in some of those, you know, in Asylum, you've got some classic female sort of villains there, twisted sort of much more fleshed out female female characters within those kind of uh, anthologies. Yeah, the female villains start coming in, in, into their own as well. And then, you know, the Barbara Steele movies are great because they have, um, you know, then she, she's, she's always the center of her, of her films. And so that's great. Yeah. So what, because I, I mean, you know, just going off a bit of an offshoot a minute, because I, 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 you know, uh, I mean, you said that this was possibly the first horror film you came across. So I'm guessing at that, this would have been the first time you came across Christopher Lee. And because Christopher Lee in this has got uh, an American accent, um, did you think he, he was American or did you think, no, this is just a British guy with a, a not so good American well, I think, accent? I think, as I think, again, I was... I think I was so young, you know, like six or seven, that um, I wasn't thinking about anything like accents. And, you know, I wasn't sophisticated enough to be even thinking about what accent. Of course, I probably thought he was American if his American accent was American, but I didn't put together that it was even what even was Christopher Lee until I saw it again when I was older and I was aware of Christopher Lee. You know, I didn't even realize he was in the movie, you know, because I wasn't like, watching movies like unknowing who the cast was when i was really small well i mean what's what's odd to me when i was watching this again the other day is the you know having grown up with christopher lee and obviously you know this is two years after dracula um and he, he just looks i mean obviously it is christopher lee he's recognizable as christopher lee but he looks so different to when he's dracula i don't just mean he's not wearing a cape or whatever but he just he his face he just doesn't look like the same guy i don't know whether it's to do with the lighting or whatever it is but he looks he looks human he is he, he, in some ways he's a much more evil character but he looks very much more human in this and you're not kind of you know not really used to seeing christopher lee like this he looks all because because you don't know he's going to be a villain to start with he can, he looks kind of heroic and it's it, it's kind of it throws you off a bit <laughs> well i didn't think i thought he was i thought he was a bit scary right from the beginning and i think that's just a testament to his acting ability that <clears throat> you know, he he could his facial expressions are a little. There's just there's something really quite sinister about him. Even hate stuff that Um, there's I think there's something quite sinister, <laughs> sinister about him. Um, 
in the very beginning. I didn't know he's not mo- he's not a monster. He's a person. But yeah, yeah. So I just well, think. I mean, how um, many have you have he's you? Such kind of, actor, he's such a good actor. He's such a Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I met him once, very briefly. Uh, a few years ago, um, yeah, he's a nice, he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. He's, he, you know, he takes. He, he, I think, from all accounts, he took himself very seriously. Um, but yeah, I think I think he was a nice guy. You know, it's fucking Christopher Lee. <laughs> I think he's, he's top notch, top notch actor. You know, yeah. and he could have done many more straight roles. I wish he had because, you know, because that would have been great as well. Kind of like yeah. I wish Basil Rathbone had done many more roles except for just Sherlock Holmes because because these actors are so good that you want you want them to, to do more kinds of things, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, Basil Rathbone, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I, 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 you know, as much as I've got a kind of fondness for those Sherlock Holmes films, I think, I think the first wave were pretty good, but then the ones that were kind of set, because they switched times, didn't they? And they set it so, so it tied in with the kind of war effort and... They're a bit ropey, I think, but you know the original ones are pretty good. But um, yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, did you? Uh, so you talked about Hammer, but did you? I, I'm, I'm interested in terms of Amicus films um, because they were just for me in the UK. They were just part and parcel of growing up. You know, everybody knew Amicus. Everybody we may not have known no, the no, company. No, I didn't know. I didn't know Amicus films really. I, I guess like, it was only again when I started to get into horror more, um, more, more self consciously after I became a director that I started looking up other things. Like when, like when we had the internet and we could look up, we could find, you know, we could, you know, we could see. You know, it's like so that's much later. So like you know, so so mainly I was exposed to the American films. And um, and I sought out the Hammer films and the Amicus films later. Because um, <clears throat> what was interesting from a, a UK point of view, obviously you you know the two sort of main big hitters at that time were Hammer and Amicus being their main rival. Then you had companies like Tygon as well with Blood Beast Terror mm-hmm. and Witchfinder General and all that. Um, but it was the fact that they you know Hammer and Amicus were very kind of different houses of horror hammer was that kind of gothic technical technical gothic kind of kensington gore all this kind of stuff and the the victoriana and all that kind of you know the cost period drama really um and then amicus was much more about particularly with its anthology films it was much more kind of council house it was much more street level it's on location it was grimy and it's odd because Amicus was was run by two American guys, and usually they bought in American writers like Robert Block, and yet they seem to be able to capture something incredibly quintessentially British, which is not a, an easy thing to do. You know, it's because it, it, you know people when people get Britain wrong, it's kind of just like let's have a quick shot of a red bus going by or the booking booking. And it's not, they, they understood how grimy and grotty that England was at the, in the late sixties and early seventies, you know, it's, it's it's horror that's kind of wrapped in an old chip wrapper, you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff. And I think they really got it. Yeah. And part of the horror is how grimy, grimy it is. You know, I recently watched um, their production of the birthday party yeah. Which was directed by William Friedkin, another American, and um, and 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 that's almost like a horror the way they do it. You know, it's just it's really, really grimy and grotty, sleazy. You know, it's just incredibly. Um, a lot of the horror of it is just how, the way the people are sneering and their faces are all greasy and it's all disgusting and cornflakes spilling. <laughs> they kind yeah. of they, they sort of make it into a horror movie. Sure, you know, it's interesting. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, you know, we're not, <laughs> we're not a particularly healthy country now, but I mean, back in the 70s, I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, a lot of people in those 70s films, the leading man, you know, they would have been probably in their, their mid 20s, but you know, they look like they could be 40 a lot of the time. You see the sweat pouring yeah. out their pores and they're, they're smoking constantly and they're eating absolute crap, you know, not doing any exercise at all. You know, it's just, 
Uh, yeah, and I love all that. It, it looks great. I mean, I was watching. I mean, this is nothing to do with Amicus, but it's a it's a Tygon film from around a little bit later on from 1971. But um, it's called Beast in the Cellar. I don't know if you've seen Beast in the Cellar. Oh, uh, it's great. You, you'd really like it. It's got Beryl Reed. It's, it's kind of like two two old women and they've got a secret in the cellar. But it's kind of a horror film, but it's like a horror film meets Harold Pinter. It's it's really, it's, it's great. It's really good. Leave Whitewood tonight, I beg of you. In terms of, uh, I mean, kind of, I mean, in terms of the plot for this film, it, it's not on, on paper... There's not a lot going on. It it is kind of more about the atmospherics and and the, and the, the sort of minutiae and the, the performances because it is, you know, similar to Psycho. Like we said, it is a girl goes goes to uh, town and disappears, and then uh, a relative soon follows trying to find her in, in this town and not and not getting much success obviously um and, and peeling all the secrets away um so yeah it, it, but i mean there's some great stuff within it i think i think it's an incredible plot actually because it's the scariest type of plot to me is like to go travel somewhere and meet some terrifying people and then disappear well, the, it was really, well, the, you know, there's so much emotional tension in that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, as it plays out. But I think if you, you know, if you sort of read, or it doesn't, there's, there's not a lot of bones, but once it's played out and you add all that, it becomes really, you know, like you said, you know, potentially very terrifying. And I think it reminded me, even though it was a couple of years later, um it's got a similar vibe to uh, carnival of souls as well i mean that idea of again this 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 woman try, desperately trying to escape something but obviously not being able to escape that and uh, uh that's another movie really love that one. it's a brilliant film i love i love carnival yeah. souls i really want someone to pick that to do on this <laughs> podcast because <laughs> i love it uh yeah yeah uh but yeah i think there's a lot of similar vibes i mean obviously this this was before carnival of souls but yeah it, it's got you know a lot of those vibes but what i do love in um horror hotel aka city of the dead is it's 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 those those characters on the edge you know they're, they're sort of periphery characters you know you've got the blind priest you've got the mute serving girl and it's it's all it it, it doesn't underscore it or underline it but it is almost kind of like the, these uh metaphors being thrown you know this kind of the the idea of you know see no evil speak no evil or you know the blind leading the blind all this kind of stuff or there is you know in the hitchcock thing yeah. of, there are characters without sight or who are blinded in order to let us know that there are other characters within this or possibly us as an audience that are not seeing what's actually going on i i, I really yeah, like that like, the, yeah the christian metaphors and symbolism are a lot of fun and then um it's just very it's very classically gothic and mythic in many ways i think it's a strength of it and it's interesting because it actually does really, it is really similar to Psycho in the sense that there's also, um, you know, like another woman who teams up with a boyfriend to find out what happened, you know, in Psycho. Yeah. Um, it's a sister. And then in this one, it's the, it's a, it's a woman of the town who's almost like a sister to her. She's a similar type. And again, it's like a blonde and a brunette, and the brunette is the is the more is the more sober one who um, finds out the secrets. I just love it. I mean, for me, like you know, the sister thing is really great, and the you know the, the kind of um, the woman. It's like you kill off the character, but then the other woman um, investigates. So it isn't just a male character investigating. There's something yeah, very yeah. satisfying about that. And then just yeah. like the evil. And I, I think I think for, I think in some ways these stories, like these horror stories, what's one thing one thing that's so great about them is they're just only like slightly heightened from real life. You know, like this is the kind of thing that could happen to anybody. They they get in with some really, really bad people, or they trust a professor that's supposed to be kind and nice, you know. And uh, you know, they disappear into some house of evil. You know, like, you know, women are trafficked into prostitution all the time and they meet a bad man or something. 
But but the fact that they're so that the, the evil of these people is so heightened and it's so indisputable that they're actually like these evil witches and it actually goes back hundreds of years and these covenants and they're so old. I think it's just very satisfying emotionally, you know, for us to be like, you know, the, the fact that our everyday stories are heightened to such an incredible degree. I feel like that's what the Gothic is about in a way. Yeah, and uh, you know, like we said earlier, I, just the fact that. You know, I think you could maybe watch 10 minutes of this and may maybe think it was kind of a more of a hokier sort of uh, early 60s horror film. But actually, you know, once you watch it and you're into it, it doesn't it doesn't pull any punches. You know, it, it's got, you know, obviously it's kind of got that aesthetic. You've got the, the kind of billowing sort of dry ice, which which I love, you know. But other than that, you've got these kind of that surface level sort of hokiness if you like on in some ways or some people may see it like that but yeah but i mean they do they you know they kill off like you said they kill off the heroin that's you're just not expecting it you know you, you're you not know. expecting it and then and then and then the, the acting the scripts are, are you know they're it's realism it's yeah. realism you know so it's like we have the the, the beginning, the very beginning, with the with the kind of the Salem witches being burned, that's that's quite over the top. But the rest of it, like adheres very strictly to realism. And even like you're talking about Christopher Lee and how he seems kind of ordinary in a way, but he's he's very terrifying because it's like he's he's filtering his monster through a very like realistic character of a of a kind of a you know erudite professor of the occult who. Um, who actually secretly, you know, um, practices evil things. And I, you know, I think especially because I, I first saw it as a child, it's the kind of thing that really scares children. Because, you know, um, I grew up in a fairly bohemian family. My parents were artists, and they had a lot of really interesting and usual friends. <laughs> and you don't know, you know, these adults, you know, they present in this extremely flamboyant way, you know, um, you know, whether, you know, they don't know whether they're okay or not, you know, and even, you know, and even just, you know, just like, so I love these stories about, you know, covens of witches, they're like, the witches are like the postman, and like the, you know what I mean? It's like the, the church leader, they're all witches. I love yeah. that, because sometimes that's how life feels, especially when you're, when you're younger, and you, you don't, you know, you, you don't necessarily know who to trust. It's like, maybe, maybe like, maybe everyone is against you, and maybe, um, Maybe they're all like in some sort of a, a club or a group or a coven or some scary thing. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm just paranoid. <laughs> oh, no. If you have like kind of paranoid fantasies, you know, it's kind of it's a really good kind of movie to watch, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I like, I one character I really like is the, the guy that works at the petrol station. <laughs> He's just seeing this, this, this convoy of people coming into this small town. Like, Don't go to this town, honestly. Don't go to this town. It's horrible there. They won't like you. Oh, Don't okay. go. Yeah, see ya. We're just going into this town. <laughs> I know. I know. It's perfect. It's a perfect. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love all the like the, you know the the, the warnings. You know that's in Dracula too, right? In the book Dracula, where yeah, they're yeah, saying yeah. saying don't don't go to the castle. Don't do it. They're telling Jonathan Harper not to go. Like don't get into that carriage. Don't do it. You know. And of course. That's always very satisfying, you know, when, when everyone's saying, don't do it, don't do it. And then the person's like, no, I'm fine. And then you're, it just creates this feeling of dread. It's just a kind of a, it's a very, uh, I mean, at this point, it's a cliche, but it's very effective. You know, it's very effective. Yeah, so, I, I think. It goes back to fairy tales, you know, it just goes back to like the moral tale, you know. Yeah. I think this film uh, also kind of has, and again, it came later on, but it, it has a lot of parallels with Night of the Eagle. I don't know if you're aware of that film. It's a wonderful movie. Again, it's a similar time period and similar. That's a wonderful movie. It's great, yeah. I know it's it's a similar sort of setup at the beginning. You know, obviously they're both university sort of lecturers and that the whole the, the strange relationships with students and all that kind of stuff. It's all it's all there. I think, but I think you know to talk about on a sort of wider level um witchcraft in film because i think you know you know you've got films like obviously black sunday and um around the same time you know this film and 
Um, also, you know, the witches that Hammer did later on. And John Fontaine. And that's, a, and that's another one where, where the whole town, all the very normal, middle class, ordinary people are witches. Very satisfying. Yeah, it's almost like there was kind of like a first wave of those witchcraft. Bl- I mean, obviously, way back you've got in the twenties, you've got Haxan. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you would have come across that. The the silent. It's just yeah. <laughs> that's just messed up. I love that film, but it's just bizarre. Um, yeah, there's some there are some su- such striking images in that film, and and I, I, you know you play that today, and I think it's still barely shot. Some scenes in that film are still really shocking, I think, or people are just not expecting to see that from a 1920s film, you know. Um, so so you had that, and obviously bits and pieces, but I think once you get obviously you have that kind of black magic thing with Night of the Demon or Curse of the Demon, as it was in the states. But uh, and then this leads to you know all this kind of Alistair Crowley kind of influence stuff and these characters you know Christopher Lee in in Horror Hotel is very very much an Alistair Crowley type character and you know that that was you know this this kind of first wave of those films and obviously in this country you lead you lead in into the late sixties early seventies and you get your kind of it, it intermingles with like folk horrors like blood on satan's claw and also you know bizarrely as well i mean which find a general which you know I, I was having this conversation with someone the other day and we were both saying it's it's not a folk horror <laughs> it's not really a folk horror because it's not there's no witchcraft in it these are these are not witches these are just innocent people that are being killed you know um but it kind of feeds into all that um so I, i'm just wondering what your particular take on so obviously you've got an interest in witches and witchcraft and and in terms of cinema you know what where would you sort of start and what kind of things would you know float your boat <clears throat> really the movies that you're mentioning are, are really my favorite witchcraft movies well the ones you mentioned you know <laughs> and also love Dave Roth Dave Roth is a great one by Carl Dreyer some of the great witchcraft movie um but yeah, all the ones you've mentioned, you know, Carnival of Souls, Night of the Evil. Um, yeah, these are some of my, you know, uh, these are some of my favorite. And it's just, it's just this time period, a specific time period around, um, you know, just, just, just parent, they're like kind of like paranoid films. They're paranoid films and they're kind of about um, other people being, being scary. And, um, so whether they're witchcraft films or not, these are these are great. I, you know, I also love some of the I also love some of the the comedies from the Hollywood comedies, you know, Bell Book and Candle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Married a Witch. Those are really great because they're just they're about the 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 power of you know feminine feminine seduction, which is like that that like love is witchcraft, and I'm you know I'm I'm drawing on that a little bit on in my film Love Witch as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, but. Um, but yeah, these I love these. I love this that that kind of like early sixties um, paranoid witch film. And you know, the, to me, like the I think the best, my favorite horror films are from the thirties and from the sixties, and um, from the early sixties, because it was that whole period uh, in the forties and the fifties where they kind of just stopped making horror films, except for maybe um, you know. Uh, Who's that guy? I married a zombie. Um, oh, Val, Val Luton. Val Luton, yeah. They, they, so the, 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 the movies, um, there was a very, very hyper-rationalist in the 40s and 50s, like during the war. They, they were like, they were like um, above. They don't like to do movies about the supernatural. And I think it was partly because of Nazism and, um, and uh, you know, ration, they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to do irrational beliefs or peasant-like beliefs. They were, they were afraid of, um, of propagating that sort of thinking. In the 40s especially well it's interesting it's like, you know, I, i've always said you know i i love the 1930s horror films american horror films especially and and i you know obviously universal were a big part of that um but also all the other studios like mgm and um you know with with, with things like freaks and stuff like that and um i but i i think obviously you know the, the pre-code area feeds into that as era feeds into that as well because it's you know they are i i you know i'd argue the 90s 30s horror films are much more subversive they are much you know whether they were intended to be they they are i mean it's like i always say because you think about the, 
the 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 actual code when it became actually when Joseph Joseph Breen came in and it actually was enforced you because they get fined you know so you had the difference between something like the black cat from 1934 and the raven in 1935 mm-hmm. i mean they're, they're great film both great films but the black cat is so perverse oh, it's so perverse yeah the black cat you know just the torture in it and the, and the and the characters yeah it's too bad it's too bad you know there, there's so many kinds of films you know like what what would we have had you know in the, the rest of the 30s had it not been for that code but then no, again, but, but then, but then, but then again, you have, you know, because, you know, the other argument is, well, yeah, okay, yeah, it, 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 in broad strokes, they did make things more difficult, but, you know, James Whale was still able to get away with a ton of stuff in Bride of Frankenstein, nineteen thirty-five, which was well after the code was enforced. But then you look at, you know, MGM, MGM, they produced Freaks in nineteen thirty-two, and dropped yeah. it like a, you know, because it just kind of was not doing any good business and it was kind of being you know it was banned ended up being banned for 30 years but the next horror film they do after that mgm is mad love again in 1935 it's when the code's been enforced but again it's still one of the most perverse subversive nasty horror films uh Mm -hmm. so i think people could i don't know it's weird that they they could just on the cusp i think get away with it but then i think when you say it like you say with val luton it was about kind of having that marketing aesthetic you know let's choose we'll we'll choose the title so we'll have the leopard man or we'll have cat people we'll have all these films that sound like classic universal monster films but actually with rko what you're getting is much more it's about seduction. It's about psycho, psycho, mm-hmm. the psychological stuff. Yeah, it's, it's about like, what yeah, you don't all, see. Paul Freudian stuff, and which was very big at the time, and it's all very, very highly refined and elegant, and shows almost nothing. Shows very little. It is in the end quite rationalist. And then, to me, like in the seventies, um, once you get into the mid seventies, um, sometimes you get films that are just so sadistic. And so misogynistic that I start to lose interest at some point, and and actually like badly written, like boring, you know. So like I like I I, st- I start. I mean, there's some really great films made after that, obviously in the '70s, great horror films. Some of the best, some of the best horror films were made then. But but um, I guess it, it just became such a popular genre that so much dreck was made as well. <laughs> I guess because the explosions more of them would be made, of course, then you get a lot of low quality, low quality, low budget, because it just becomes an industry at that point. So the artistry starts to drop away a lot. um, Well, I I think it was a case of, which you still get now, again and again and again, it's the idea of producers and because I mean, by the time you get to the late 70s, you're into that period where that kind of golden age of the late 60s early 70s where you felt like more of the artists were in charge because the producers had given over but by the time you know you've had hits like star wars and jaws and godfather and they knew they had a formula they knew they could market films in a particular way and they get a certain amount of money and then also i think you know that bleeds into today as well i think as i've said over and over again i'm a huge advocate of 21st century horror i think there's some brilliant horror films from this century this decade this year however i think that at the worst end of it it tends to be like in any genre of filmmaking uh in hollywood what you tend to get is studio heads and producers who they interpret what they they wrongly interpret what made a film popular in the first place you know it's interesting i think at the minute whatever your views on on barbie are you know that's a film that's out there it's really popular but already you know you can hear the conversations of studio heads and it's all what which which mattel product can we put out as a film this year and it's like that's not the fucking point <laughs> you've missed the point well, you're just looking yeah, for the I, next marketing opportunity yeah, that is not yeah. the point yeah, that's true. At a certain point, films stopped, mainly stopped being about artistry and started being made by producers. That's true. 
Yeah, and I think what's interesting in Hollywood is at the minute, if you're talking about the, you know, the big studios, Disney's and things like that, is that they're they're for because, so you know, a lot of their products aren't doing as well as they were five or six years ago. You know, obviously they they're getting rid of staff, but what they're cutting costs and keeping profits by, you know, overloading things with CG so that there's very little pre-production so that everything is made in the post edit phase and it's just and see that's not a good way of making a film you know it is not a good way of making films but also um that speaks to the amount of control that the producers want to have because it takes so much control away from the director because the director has their sets and they have what they shoot and you know they have their world that they build and then producers can't change it because it's all just all in camera and then they want they want the the ability to change anything they want with the push of a button to make to make all the decisions like to take the decisions away from the director. And I've heard this from people who work in studios that these are the reasons these decisions are made. Yeah, I, and also, you know, if you've got you know almost ninety percent CG and things like that, it you know really cynically you know you can have well a well. In in America and Britain, all those kind of uh, markets will will push. Well, we've got two gay side characters, so we're being really woke. But then, when they sell it to the Chinese market, because it's CG, they can just easily edit those characters out. It's such a cynical bullshit thing to do. And yeah, it's just, yeah. It's yeah. not. It's not where we should be going. But but yeah. you know, as I always say, that's not the be all and end all. There are loads of other filmmakers. I'm working with independent. Yeah. Because they won't, they won't do that, any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, God. I, yeah, I mean, it just stands to reason. You know, the Love Witch would not have been the Love Witch if you'd had much more interference than you did. There's no way. that That's the old point of that film. It's the yeah. artistry behind it. But rather than spending all those years, you know, making things, I could have spent those years, you know, um, trying to get, trying to track down more money. And then... But the larger your budget is, the less control you have. Yeah. So it was a choice I made to try to just work with the budget I had so I'd have complete creative control. But I can't really make films like that anymore because they take too long. <laughs> <laughs> so so this, next, this film I'm doing now, you know, I, I, I have had to wait and wait and wait to try to get a budget. You know what I mean? So, well... It was interesting because I, I wrote uh, a book a couple of years ago about Alice Lowe's Prevenge, you know, because I really loved that film. And, and it came out the same year as The Love Witch as well. Um, and when I was I interviewed her quite a lot. And, and, and one of the things she was saying is that initially, uh, you know, she'd made Sightseers and she'd co-written Sightseers and starred in it. Uh, it was a Ben Wheatley film and she, there was loads of awards and she was just not not arrogantly, but she was kind of expecting to, um, you know, get more work because of that. And then there was nothing, you know. And then so what she did, she started to come up with a few ideas and then she hooked up with a producer. And initially the producer was saying, well, look, you write a script and uh, do this and, and we'll, we'll pass it on to another person who can star in it. And, and she was like, you know, fuck off. You know, if I'm going to get paid 50 pence for this, <laughs> I'm, I'm being in it and I'm having complete fucking control. And I think, you know, and again, you know, it's difficult to imagine prevenge happening like that if if people had just walked all over it. It wouldn't have been the film that it, it, it should have been. Um, yeah. I, I don't yeah but thank thank goodness people like you are there and you are making films um anna have you got anything else you would like to any last thoughts on um city of the dead aka uh horror hotel well i just think it's a wonderful movie it's got a wonderful i think it's got a wonderful story and atmosphere and characters i think the acting is great and i think if anybody wants it's a really fun um scary interesting movie to watch for halloween they should they should watch that absolutely um now anna where can people get hold of bluebeard's castle your latest novel well it's available i'm, I'm going to say wherever books are sold <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah pretty much yeah it means you can get it on amazon but you yeah. also get it in your local bookstore 
it'll be a water stone. So it'll be, you know, maybe a small independent bookshops uh, or um, people keep sending me, they, they spot it here and there at all these bookshops all over the world, you know, in Paris and San Diego, you know, <laughs> so. Yes. But wherever you buy it, wherever people buy it, you need to buy it and read it quickly because it, it's excellent. Uh, and if you've got any, if you love the Love Witch and you love Annabella stuff, you will absolutely love this. It's cracking. Um, just, uh, I right, so uh, as usual, I need to say, oh, I hate doing this stuff. Please like and subscribe this podcast. Uh, please, wherever, just listen to us wherever you happen to listen to your podcast we're all over the place honestly we've got we're all we're just all over um yeah it just remains for me to say thank you thank you thank you for coming on annabella honestly i'm i'm, I'm so thrilled you were able to do this it, it's brilliant so thank you very much thank you it was a delight to speak to you oh bless you um so remember to call round next time make yourself at home you look like you're dying for a nice cup of tea for terror. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future.